Okay, so here we go. I'm in Paris. Oh wow, we're in Paris. Yeah, I'm in Paris. Okay. Not right now. Oh, okay. I mean, this is this is the typical setup story that we do at the beginning of the episode. I'm in Paris. I mean, you could be in right. Paris to be honest, but I you're could not. Be, God, I'd love to be okay. in Paris right now. <laughs> Actually, would I? No, there'd be a lot of dog poo everywhere. Anyway, I'm in Paris. Yep. I'm with my family. I've got my wife and kids. This is post ASIO time. Yep. And uh, we're walking down the Champs Elysees when this massive black four-wheel drive with blackout windows just pulls up, screeching halt in the middle of the Champs-Élysées. The doors open Mm. and this guy in this immaculate suit, black and white, white shirt, black tie, black suit gets out and the passenger door opens and out gets, well, the best way to describe it is, have you ever seen uh, Nikita, the movie, the original Luc Besson movie? Yes, 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 years ago. Right, you know her when she goes to the restaurant, the big shootout in the restaurant in the kitchen? She's wearing the little black number and she looks fabulous. Right. <laughs> I'm sure you've remembered, apparently. This woman gets out of the car and looks fabulous. So right. so Parisian. So Parisian, right. And my wife was saying, gee, that's an interesting cop. I'm looking around going, that isn't a cop. That's intelligence. Wow. Right? And sure enough, she reaches into a handbag and pulls out a gun. What? And I'm just like, let's get the kids off the street. But this was the thing. This is post 9 11 because we're still on our 9 11 trip. Yeah. And this was what really got me. Not only did America need to make changes, everyone needed to make changes. And I'm standing in the middle of Paris. And by the way, Paris is full of armed guards right now. Yeah. It's full of soldiers. We were absolutely blown away. We were going, this is an intelligence operation happening in real time in the middle of the Champs-Élysées. And to this day, I still have no idea why she pulled the gun out, probably because I look so threatening. But anyway, <laughs> let's talk about how the rest of the world dealt with 9-11. Let's dig in. You're listening to I Spy, the constant amendments of Australian intelligence. Uh, Mr Speaker, I propose to put forward the I Spied must be paid for by the Australian Government Legislation Amendment 2021. Do I hear all? I second oh, that. Thank you. I, 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 I. The eyes have it. Hello and welcome to I Spied. My name's Michelle Stevenson. I'm here with David Callan and we're on part two of September 11 and kind of looking at how that affected the rest of the world. I mean, last week, yeah. last ep, we were we were looking at specifically America and kind of the fallout. And, and we are touching on this because it is the 20th anniversary. Yes. Um, and, you know, you know, the fallout for America was, mm. oh, geez, that happened, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, it, it was huge. But there, were there many changes in America? No, there were not. No, which is, which is the, kind of surprising, right? Yeah. You'd sort of think that they go, gee, that really went wrong. We need to do something about it. But there was this, as we said last week, there's government inertia. In other countries around the world, there wasn't quite so much inertia, yep. and particularly the one country in the world that really stepped up to the counterterrorism situation, mm. us, Australia. Right. We actually are currently regarded as possibly the most heavily legislated counterterrorist country in the world. Wow. No one went hard, as hard as we did. Put it this way, the whole problem with it is you've got to juggle your national security with uh, civil liberties. Yeah. All right? And in Australia, there's one thing that we always, you know, and at the moment we get a lot of it, it's my right to do this. Oh. Really? Yeah. Where is your right? Where In Australia, we have no Bill of Rights. We okay. don't actually have any legislation or well, we have legislation, but we have no Bill of Rights in our constitution saying these are your rights. Right. Right. So for you to say it's my right not to wear a mask, well, technically, no. 
because if we make it a law, you've got to wear a mask. Right. So Australia went really hard on counterintelligence to the point where there was something like 56 separate pieces of legislation since 2001 to do with counterterrorism. And it's not just counterterrorism laws. The the big one was, um, where is it? I've got it here somewhere. The ASIO Legislation Amendment Brackets Terrorism Close Brackets Act 2003. Right. So this was an act that basically gave ASIO the special powers to compel you to answer questions. Right. You could be, they'd get what's called a questioning warrant mm. and they could call you in. You would be compelled to answer the questions whether you were the, sus- the suspect or not. You would be compelled to answer these questions, and there was no way you could say no. You could face prison if you didn't ans- if you did refuse to answer. You could have a lawyer with you, but then again, you couldn't have a lawyer if that lawyer was able to a get rid of evidence, or b was in some way associated with the suspect. You couldn't tell your family that you'd been taken. You couldn't tell anyone, so it became a very secret thing. Quite, I would say, draconian. Would you agree? Yes, quite draconian. Now, the thing was the uh, Attorney General at the time, a guy by the name of Daryl Williams QC, said these measures are extraordinary, but so too is the evil at which they are directed. That word again, evil, keeps coming up. Evil. 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 So, right, they had this specific legislation created to target terrorism. Yep. Did you know that in all of Australia, the only state prior to 9-11 that had any counter-terrorism legislation was the Northern Territory? Is that because they had, because of Darwin? I don't know. That, that fact came up and I thought, this is really strange. Yeah. Why would only the Northern Territory have counter-terrorism laws? The thing was, all other counter-terrorism laws in Australia were basically encompassed in the Crimes Act for each different state. So we had federal, we had to create a federal legislation to overthrow it. And here we go. We've got this. The thing was, you think, okay, we've got our counterterrorism laws in place. That's pretty cool. We should be fine. No, 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 no. Every time something happens somewhere else in the world. Mm. So we had Bali. Bali, which we should look at. And I think we might do an anniversary thing on the the Bali bombing. That was horrendous. A terrible attack. And it was regarded as an attack against Australia because 88 Australians were killed because it was Bali. That's where Australians were going for holidays. It was was an attack against Australians, for sure. And yes, by Jamar Islamiyah, which was a a resident terrorist organisation in in Indonesia. So these guys basically turned around and um, the Australian government went, right, we need to increase our legislation. They came up with the attacks on Australians overseas, legislation that made it a crime to attack Australians overseas. So they could prosecute somebody in another country really? for attacking an Australian. Yeah, yeah, See, yeah, yeah. I didn't know so, that. So they've created mm. all of these le- these different pieces of legislation. Now, the way it was described quite brilliantly by somebody was Australia got caught up in the 9-11 effect, all right? Right. And our response was hyper-legislation. We just basically went Chuck law at this. Just keep creating laws to make this happen. And like the amount of laws passed is far greater than any other country in the world because a lot of other countries were affected. I mean, uh, if you want to go through it, here's a great one. Let's look at Canada. Canada. I, lo- Ooh, Canada. I love Canadians. Right. Now, Canadians, as soon as it happened, the Canadians did one law. It mm. was the Omnibus Counterterrorism Bill. They basically created one big counterterrorism bill and went, right, right, great, good, we've got all our counterterrorism law covered. But it was such a big bill and it was pushed through so quickly that nobody really had a chance to look at it. Now, 
because of their counterterrorism bill, they uncovered a plot to storm the parliament, kidnap politicians, <laughs> behead the PM and detonate truck bombs if the PM did not pull Canadian troops out of Afghanistan. Yep. Now, here's an interesting thing. That was uncovered because they were given intelligence from the UK. The UK said, you guys might have a little plot going on in your country because one of our guys has been talking to some of your guys. Right. right? One of our, our suspects has been talking to some of your suspects. Here's the important thing you need to know about Canada. They are not allowed to gather foreign intelligence. What? Why? Canada, it's illegal for Canada to spy on other countries overseas. Oh, they're so nice. They just don't... They're, so, <laughs> they're like, just so oh, nice. Hey, we'd really like to spy on you, but hey, that's really... Oh, sorry. Didn't mean to find out that secret. So they do have they do have intelligence officers overseas. Yeah. Oh, hey, I'm your Canadian intelligence liaison officer. You got anything to tell me? So they do that. They liaise with other intelligence organizations. What they don't do is have active overseas operations. Wow. Which is really bizarre. It's one of the to me that is the takeaway fact for this podcast. Canada, you we're not going to spy on you air. We're just going to send a hockey team. Well, but to, to be honest, party. it's so Canadian. Like I've never heard it's like the most Canadian thing I've ever heard in my life. I mean, cuz I lived there for 8 years and they're just so nice. I mean, literally, you would go to cross a road and cars would just stop for you. Like they don't. The entire city would stop. Yeah, they just stop and let you cross the road. Like that's how Michelle, nice they are. <laughs> Michelle, that that wasn't Canada being it's just nice. Me. That was all Canada going. It's Michelle, eh? We better let her cross. Yeah, I know oh, it's true. She's out in the boot again. I'm like, I, I was like Moses parting the Red Sea. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. So there's that. Now you want to know the flip side of this? I if do. You think Canada by going? Let's just chuck one big bill at it and eh, let's not spy on no one. Eh? The flip side of that mm. is France. Oh, right. France. Well, France have a lot of issues. They, well, they have an incredible counterterrorism capability because they're so used to it. Yeah. Right? They've dealt with a lot of Arabic, um, mm. Islamic-focused terrorism yep. for a long time yep. because of Morocco and Algeria and their, their time in Africa. So through the 70s, 80s and 90s, they developed an incredible counterterrorism capability. But one of the things that was really smart, the one thing that they did and they've held on to this is they have the wait for this, it's French, I will do my French now, the juge d'instruction. Yes, the juge's destruction. See, even even their anti-terrorism laws sound really sexy. Well, the juge d'instruction are magistrates. Oh, okay, right, right. See, their legal system works differently to our legal system. We have innocent before, uh, uh, you're innocent until proven guilty. Over there, it's you're guilty, prove us wrong. Really? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have a tribunal thing. But what they do is they have a magistrate that runs the the pre-trial investigation. Wow. Right. So essentially, the best way to describe it would be like a grand jury in the United States, yep. where you have a bunch of people that examine all the evidence to see if this is going to work. The thing about the juges d'instruction mm. is they work hand in glove with the intelligence organizations. So if a French intelligence officer walks into the juges d'instruction's office <laughs> and says, uh, bonjour, I would like a warrant to look at this guy, the judge will go, oh, bon, 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 we will do that. <laughs> <laughs> Here is your warrant. Um, and to all those French listeners, um, I apologise. Yeah, and I mean, I, I even I apologise. Well, I think yeah, that, I think I think apologies to the Canadians is warranted a bit more because that was a terrible Canadian accent. We haven't even reached Germany yet. <laughs> um, God, 
God. Right. So, you know, here, you are, here is your warrant and a baguette to go with it, right? And that made them yep. exceptionally good yep. at counterterrorism. It didn't spare them. No. You've got the Charlie Hedbow uh, incident. But they're still getting they're – still, they're still weeding through like some incre- incredible amounts of terrorism acts. Well, I mean, the one that really blew my mind, and this goes back to the the problem that everyone's encountered, was the Nice truck incident. Oh, terrible. Where the guy just yeah. drove a truck down the Corniche around the, the bay and just ran over everyone. And this is why these in, these counter-terrorist uh, mm. legislations, particularly in Australia, keep getting revised, looked at and put into power, into, uh, into position, is because this is an evolving threat. Yeah. Right? Back in the 70s and 80s, and even the 90s, if somebody hijacked a plane, if a terrorist hijacked a plane, they wanted to use those hostages For something. as leverage. Yep. Now, if they hijack they a plane, kill them. it's a cruise missile, and if you're on that plane, I'm sorry, you're just excess baggage. Yeah, right. You aren't. You're. You're not even considered a part of the problem. And this is the thing: nobody would have thought that driving a truck down a footpath would become a terrorist act, but it is. It is now, right? So this is the thing: these guys have got to evolve. The French, despite they had the fact that they had Charlie Hedbow and they had the Nice and other events, mm. the thing is they are utterly ruthless when it comes to counterterrorism. Right. They are really, 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 really ruthless about it. In what way? Well, the fact is they just they, they take no prisoners. Right. And, um, yeah, you will – I mean, it. I watched <laughs> – the funny thing is I watched Nikita, the movie Nikita, and I went, gee, that's pretty hardcore. Mm. Um, and then I sort of – my experience at ASIO reading certain files, I went, geez, it's pretty hardcore, but kind of like a documentary. Mm. Um, they do not tolerate any mucking around. They will take you down. Now we get to Germany. Yes, we're going to Germany now. Hello, <laughs> oh, Germany. God. Yes. It's great to be here. Right, so Germany. One of the things about Germany post 9-11 was the embarrassment because they hosted what was known as the Hamburg cell. Right. So that was where a lot of the planning was done for 9-11, was done in Germany. And the Germans were, well, let's be honest, a little embarrassed. But the problem with German intelligence, and this dates back to World War II, mm. is it's highly decentralised. After World War II, after the Nuremberg tiles, after the, you know, the Americans and the Russians and everybody went in there, they went, okay, one thing we don't ever want to see again in Germany is something like the Gestapo. So let's decentralise all intelligence in the country. So all the lands, what we would call states, yep. have their own intelligence services. Oh my gosh, that's messy. Like, oh yeah. God, we can't even in Australia agree on borders, let alone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, imagine if Bridgeland, oh, oh, Palaszczuk. Stop it. You know, stop. Yeah, uh, so, no, it would just be terrible. Afghanistan. All of those guys had their no, own intelligence services. States, states should not be in charge of anything. That's what I agree with. Well, well what about parking fines? Yes, definitely no parking fines. No parking fines. Right, so Germany had this yeah. decentralised um, intelligence service. Every state had its own intelligence service. Did they speak and to the each other? And the other thing was- Did they speak to each other, though, was important? Well, they, they did, but it comes down to that typical bureaucratic thing of turf, all right? Yeah. And when, when Germany went, maybe we should combine all of these, I can guarantee you, every state went, nah, nah, nine, 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 yeah, nine. Yeah, yeah. Right? They all said no. Um, the one thing they 
they did try to do was centralise their federal organisations. So you had the BND, which was federal intelligence, the BKA, which was a federal police, and uh, the BKA, which was domestic intelligence, right? So those three are their federal organisations. But the problem with them were, like, the BND were in Berlin, the Mm. BKA were in Weisbaden, and the BFA were in Cologne, right? So there's these different organisations. They're all spread out. Now, you might think... Modern communication, that makes things easy. Well, it doesn't, actually. That was why ASIO, back in the 80s, was dragged out of Melbourne and put into Canberra. It puts it closer to the seat of power. So what they need to do is centralise it. Now, the French did that. They took all of their domestic intelligence organisations and jammed them into the one spot. That way, if you need to talk to somebody, instead of having to set up a meeting, you just knock on a door. It it makes sense, right? It makes a lot of sense to keep it all close together. Well, the Germans, to this point, I don't know whether Germany did or didn't actually combine all of their organisations just to keep them close. They're probably still spread out because Germany has that very independent way of looking at stuff. Yeah, but they're also, I mean, Germany is still, you know, struggling with its own kind of instances of terrorism as well. Yeah. 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 There was an incident. um, Recently. uh, A recent incident, but there was Mm. one that occurred 2007. Now, it was CIA and NSA intelligence again. The Americans' intelligence was really helping everybody else, Mm. right? But they sent some information where they uncovered two Islamic uh, converts and a Turk were arrested while mixing explosives to put in car bombs, to attack US bases, nightclubs, airports. Again, so they were being helped by the US and obviously they will have put stuff in place to try and increase their CT capability. But the bottom line is, Again, it comes down to this government turf war, which brings us to the UK. Now, the UK is a really interesting case because after, particularly after the the train bombings in 2005, the 7-7 bombing, the UK were very experienced in handling terrorism, much like France because of the IRA and other sort of organisations. The UK were really well versed with intelligence, but they regarded Irish terrorism as a foreign incursion. They didn't regard it as homegrown terrorism. So when it turned out that the – why? Well, because they wanted independence. Right. right? They they were Irish. I'm not sure why. I personally would have gone, well, hang on, Northern Ireland is part of the UK, so really it's homegrown terrorism. But I think the thinking was, but they're Irish. Okay. (laughs) Makes absolute sense. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. We're we're, we're Uh, Irish and that's what we want to be. Yeah. Um, Oh, dear, they're Irish. How terrible. Right. So (laughs) the thing was – yeah. The seven seven bombers, the train bombers, were British. They were all British born. Right. Yeah. They were Islamic. And in fact, two of them had come to MI5's notice earlier. Sounds very much like nine eleven again, doesn't it? Mm. So they'd they'd actually come to MI5's notice, but MI five dismissed them as being a, a an implausible threat. That didn't work out so well. So the whole thing was, and this came out of a report, the Intelligence and Security Committee report of 2006, across the whole of counterterrorism community, the development of a homegrown threat and the radicalisation of British citizens were not fully understood or applied to strategic thinking. Because mm. I think so, the British, yeah. So because I think the, the the issue that UK were having was you've got like a whole generation of disenfranchised youth who. Are literally they they don't have jobs they you know they're, they're not fitting into society and they're just ripe for the picking really for terrorism organisations. Well, there is that you know second and third generation Pakistani youths essentially so younger mm. Pakistani uh, Pakistani picking descent, up the cause. 
picking up the cause. They were being radicalised. Yep. And that was the thing. This right across the board becomes the big thing. Radicalisation. Is homegrown yep. radicalisation. Because yep. it was happening in Australia. Yes. The great thing about Australia was we'd put all of this, inf- these, all of these different um, bits of legislation in place yep. to sort of shut it all down. And the big one was the questioning warrants and the detain and question warrants. Yeah. So Australia in 2005 disrupted a homegrown plot. Yeah. Right. Now, this came out of intelligence gathered um, and also they used their questioning warrants to sort of circumvent this to mm. find out what was going on. Now, this was by 23 different men in Sydney and Melbourne, and their plan was to blow up Lucas Heights, um, the American Express building in Melbourne, train stations, you know, you name it, they were going to blow it up. Yeah. And this is the thing. It was, uh, we were able to use these question warrants to find out more information by questioning people associated with the people in the cells, yep. not the people in the cells themselves. Now, interestingly enough, how many questioning warrants do you think we've used since we brought it in? None. 16. Oh, that's not a lot. Yeah. Not really. When you think about it, it's not a lot of um, questioning warrants that have come in. We haven't actually – a lot of people sort of said this is the sort of legislation that Pinochet would have. And interestingly enough, ASIO is the only intelligence organisation of its kind that has this kind of power to literally compel you to answer questions. To the, I think it's a five-year sentence if you refuse to answer the questions. Really? All right. Or give false information. I think it's five. I'm not sure. So we brought in a lot of other things. There was a sedition act that was brought in where, you know, you can't say certain things. Well, that got knocked on its head very quickly. Yeah. It's been watered down specifically. So in intelligence, uh, in the intelligence field, mm. we're looking at about, just for um, intelligence organisations, we're looking at about 16 different pieces of legislation that right. come in. There's a great list created by The Guardian, a couple of journalists at The Guardian, and I will post that on the Twitter feed at Ice Podcast. Yep. I'll put it on there and you can have a look at all the different ones. The police certainly got a lot of gear. Intelligence got quite a bit, but the one that's really interesting is oversight. Guess how many new pieces of legislation we got for oversight? I don't know. How many? Three. Okay. And one of those was the watering down of the Sedition Act. Okay. Right. So there's this, the thing for Australia and for a lot of the Western intelligence organizations was they needed to stop and have a good hard look at themselves and then make changes. In the UK, it was a change of mindset. They had all the legislation in place. In France, it was literally just lift your game. It was just a lift your game yep. kind of moment. In Canada, it was, oh, hey, we better do something about this, hey. Um, we'll just ask some and, questions. <laughs> and in Germany, yeah, maybe we should spy on people. I don't know. And then in Germany, it was a case of trying to bring everyone under the same banner. Ultimately, it comes down to the, the simple fact is this is – people say – Terrorism has been evolving. It's done more than evolve. Mm. It's literally mutated. Yeah, well, I think what we've seen, especially the fallout from September 11, is that they don't really need guns or bombs. They just need everyday items such as, you know, a car or a, or a plane or just things well, things that we would never have expected. And it kind of made it, it, made it more frightening because – a car, anyone could just get behind the wheel of a car anyone and just use it. Anyone could get behind the wheel of a car. But yep. I mean, remember, you at that there was that lovely point where you couldn't take more than 100 milliliters of um, liquid onto a plane. Yeah. Oh, yes, that like that's it. the big one. And it's, that it's, was the it's liquid weird. I know. It's weird to me that um, how lax our security through for international travel actually was when we think about it. 
Mm. It was really lax. But, and then now, because now, now you can't have like knives and, you know, <laughs> and you, when I think about it, I'm like, we could have knives before. Like, <laughs> well, there was that thing with Rex Hunt. Uh, I don't remember. You know, Rex Hunt, the, the fishing yep, guy. Yep. Who got on a plane, I think, in Adelaide carrying something like 20, like just cutlery knives. Yeah. As a way of going, ha, huh, it's all crap. You can do what you want. Oh, well, he, I think he got arrested for that. Oh, really? Right. Yeah, I th- he definitely it was. It did not end well for him because essentially intelligence turned around and said, "Okay, if you want to take the piss out of us, we're going to take time off you. I know. We're going to make your life uncomfortable." And here's the thing: yeah, our airport security wasn't that great, but it wasn't that great because we didn't see the need. We, yeah, to have we it didn't in think place. about it. And it's, I remember too, like being in. America and after September 11 and you know you know when you're checking in and they ask you the questions and I'm like oh what like a bomb and I was just joking he goes and he looked at me so seriously goes do not ever joke about that again or I'll have to arrest you and you're like okay I guess we're not we're not at the uh, joke about it phase (laughs) yeah yeah, just a word to anyone um, out there please don't make do not make jokes you you just can't the uh, security check because they will not they won't laugh. They don't think it's they funny. Even if it's good gear, no. they won't think it's funny. You know, it can, save it for your, your your tight five at the comedy store. Yeah. Really don't do it at an <laughs> yeah. airport. Because I've watched – I mean, I did hear a, a lovely story about a, a comedian. I will not give the comedian's name, but they were walking through the airport and they realised they had a little bag of dope in their pocket. Ooh. And they were getting on an international flight. Ooh. So they put it on top of their head and put a baseball cap on top of it. Oh, and then as they walked up to the this, – this is a true story. Mm. As they walked up to the security checkpoint, the guy went, hat. And he took the hat off and put it down, walked through the gate, right, through the little security yeah. gate. And then picked up his hat and put it back on. But he balanced the little bag of dope on his head and no one noticed. Oh, my gosh. That's actually <laughs> – that's a skill. That is an absolute well, skill. Know, he, of course, had been doing, going to deportment school for years as a child. Yeah. Um, <laughs> They don't learn. They, they don't teach you that. I feel like that is that is proper deportment school, skills right there. By the way, uh, again, another just another disclaimer: we are in no way encouraging people to try and bar- balance uh, highly illegal substances on their head <laughs> while walking through airport security. But if you do, um, take a photo and share it with us yeah. at iSpy Podcast. It on yeah, we want to see it, or, or post it to at iSpy Podcast on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Um, so look, the practical upshot of all of this is yeah. is. Terrorism was evolving, and I think to some degree still is evolving a lot faster than the counter-terrorist capability of the countries that were being affected, to the point where if you look at something like, um, as someone said, with Syria, with uh, what's going on in Syria, what is now going on in Afghanistan, Mm. you can watch an uptick in terrorism start again. It's been pretty quiet because COVID's pretty much shut down a lot of travel, but you know, online radicalization still happens. And that is the real, that is the holy grail of terrorism is instead of trying to get people on site to get them into the situation, it's better to have them in situ to start with. So there is, by and large, the best reaction to 9-11, I would say, was probably ours. For wanting to get ahead of the ball, Australia has done an incredible job with legislation. Yeah. And I also think we've done a really good job in staying on top of plots and prospective um, terrorist yeah. acts. 
We yep. haven't we haven't really I mean there there's been some phenomenal attempts. There were those two brothers who boarded a flight, were tried to board a flight in Sydney um with with a concealed bomb and the only reason that they got busted was um when they were checking at the airport the bag was overweight. Yeah, it'd be pretty awkward trying to repack so, your bag at the at the check-in, wouldn't but, yeah, it? Yeah, so you just open it up and there's a stick of dynamite. Their military-grade explosives were actually concealed in a what was it? I think it was like a meat grinder. Yeah, it was a meat grinder. Oh yes, now yeah, I remember yeah, this yeah, one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, and now here's the thing: military-grade intel- uh, uh, explosives. Yeah. The bomb plot, or the the plot that was uncovered with the twenty-three guys in two cells mm. in Sydney and Melbourne, yep. they had also gotten their hands on four military rocket launchers. How do you get? Well, how do you get military-grade explosives in this country? Look, I don't want. I don't really want to rain on your parade, but bottom line is the Department of Defence is not as uncorruptible as you might think. Oh. In fact, it's probably one of the more corruptible organisations in the country. Oh, that, that's I optimistic, mean, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of sad. But, you know, the, the problem is it's a very big organisation yeah, right. with a lot of money and, and a lot of equipment and mm. that stuff can go missing. Mm. So, yeah, the fact that – and that was a big story that when the, the four rocket launchers went yeah. missing because then it, the whole problem is all you need is somebody standing under the flight path coming into Sydney Airport and we have a major issue. But this is the whole thing is our intelligence organization and I'm really a lot of people go, it's not fair and it shouldn't be. Yeah. We need this kind of scrutiny. We need an organization that has the power to go stop everything we need to look at this. The fact that we had uh, the Lint Cafe disaster or the Lint Cafe siege mm. was indicative of the fact that you can have the best capability in place. But if that capability isn't used correctly or something slips through the crack, and that's the big thing, the lone wolf terrorist yep. is the one you cannot find. You can't investigate him. They're invisible yep. up and, until the moment they and act. And thankfully, due to the pandemic, we haven't had to deal with a lot of terrorism, but I feel like it's going yeah. to make a comeback. I have a feeling well, it's going to make a comeback. Yeah, well, it's never going to go away. No. I mean, the, the classic was, that, you know, the, the oldest profession in the world is prostitution. The second oldest profession in the world is spying. And I would say that the third oldest pro- uh, profession in the world is probably terrorism. If you it's, would call it a profession. It, well, you know, some, it's a profession, but it's not a long-lived one. No. Retirement benefits are pretty crap. Yeah. No. <laughs> so, to sum up, okay. um, Australia has done very well in increasing its counter-terrorist capability and, interestingly enough, doing it without that many onshore incidents. Yeah. We generally reacted to what happened overseas, which is what 9-11 should have done for everybody. We should have seen it and you know everyone should have seen it and changed their capability. Australia did. Mm. and is still ongoing. They're trying to keep in front of the threat as opposed to letting the threat blow up in their face and then react to it. Yep, yep. Well, well done us. Yeah. Yeah. Tick for Australian intelligence. (laughs) Great.